Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, we bring back our good friend, Jacob Cook, co-founder of WPIC Marketing and Technologies, to gain an up-to-the-minute understanding of how well China is economically recovering from COVID and what consumer trends to keep an eye on as he is now back on the ground in Beijing. We discuss why a work-from-home culture is unlikely to be a part of China's future, how consumer trends have evolved over the last 18 months, what to expect from the 618 shopping bonanza this year, the development of the live-streaming, live-commerce craze, how the IPO of Alibaba's logistics division will impact consumer behavior, among others, and how the Biden administration is doing so far with regards to the U.S.-China trade war. Enjoy. Salaries are rising across the board quite fast. Companies are digitizing, and that's all going to lead to some of the highest GMB growth that's forecasted in recent history. There still is a lot of globalization, too. So we're also hearing about big expected numbers in the United States with all the stimulus. Well, a lot of that is going to end up in China as well. So there's going to be increased factory orders. So we're really actually expecting one of the best years in recent history. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technology. Jacob, welcome back to the show. Good to have you. Thanks for having me, Todd. Great to be back. Okay, so why don't we start by diving into the latest in China? What are you seeing in terms of COVID lockdowns? Is the country fully back to normal? Bring us up to speed for those who are not in the market there. Yeah, it's it's getting pretty much back to normal. Um, you know, domestic travel is has been restored. You know, we're uh, you know you're now seeing flight delays for air traffic control again, which is. Uh, you know, in in a way, it's it's almost <laughs> nice to have it back because that really tells you things are back to normal. Um, you know, there's been a, some sporadic cases um, in different parts of the country. I believe Shenyang right now um, had a few cases, so there's a little bit of travel restricted up there, um, but nothing too bad. Um, I think it's been pretty much six months now that things have been very stable. Um, they've upped the quarantine on coming into the country, so the international borders are essentially still closed. Um, but other than that, um, reasonably back to normal, um, we're, we're getting ready for 618 here now. So, um, things are getting pretty busy. Now we know the vaccine rollout in the U S has been pretty amazing. We know the vaccine rollout in Canada has been pretty not amazing. Uh, what's the vaccine rollout been like over in China? Uh, it's been pretty good. Um, I think most people who have wanted it, uh, have been able to get it, um, uh, I believe that Beijing and some of the big cities are now getting to that 60% mark. Um, and it's been very available for, for anybody who's wanted it. I believe I got mine back in late March. Um, and we're getting the full two-shot regiment within two weeks of each other, um, at, as it should be. So lines aren't very long. It's uh, relatively straightforward to go and get. And uh, I think it's free too as well. What about... 
uh, returnees, especially a lot of the foreign, the expats, uh, brand owners, business owners, everybody who uh, does business, lives in China. Uh, have they also been able to return from abroad back into China? You know, no. Um, in a lot of cases, they haven't been able to. There's still a ton of restrictions on international travel. And, uh, you know, there's even if you are lucky enough to get processed and, and get your visa, um, you are still going to be subject to a three-week quarantine now, which has gone up. Um, the latest I've also seen is flights have been reduced uh, in between the countries. So it's uh, not open. And you never really know, you know, with the rumors that you hear, but what we've been hearing um, and sort of coming from the Olympic organizers, that there's going to be no change to that until after the Winter Olympics next February. Oh, wow. That long. That's incredible. We're seeing a lot of work from home. There has been, you know, a lot of attempts to tie oddities in the market uh, to work from home, whether it's live audio stuff like Clubhouse, uh, the housing market, used vehicle market, you know, all kinds of oddities and things going on, not to mention fun stuff like the rise and fall of Bitcoin and NFTs and all the rest. What about work from home country? Is is that now a thing? I mean, you're not staying back in, in Canada. You're back in, in China. But are you seeing a lot of people who used to live and work from within China now maybe starting to think about a transition of where they manage all their China operations outside China? I was certainly in Canada for a large portion of 2020. Um, and, you know, just with time zones, it's it's pretty rough, quite frankly. You know, a lot of nights you're working till one or two o'clock in the morning. So I don't see that anybody doing that. And, you know, I've never been a real huge fan of work at home. Um, I think you lose a lot in the collaboration between your team members. I think you lose a lot in terms of the relationship building, the creativity, you know, those moments of brilliance that you get um, from just working together. Um, not to mention all the team building, um, et cetera, um, relationships, you know, so I don't see work at home being a thing here, uh, in China. And I think that also, you know, being such a, uh, large country with such a, you know, huge population, most people like not 99% live in, um, apartments. Um, and in a lot of cases, you know, there's a lot of family members, you know, people, you know, even when they have their own kids do end up living with their parents or, in-laws, et cetera. So work at home can be um, not very comfortable as it might be, you know, in America where people are moving from the cities into the suburbs into great big, huge homes where they've been able to carve out, um, you know, a portion of their houses uh, into home offices. And quite frankly, it can be more comfortable um, even than the office that they have at work. Um, that's not quite the case here. So um, I don't see that being a, a thing. And then due to the time zones, I don't see the people that are trying to run businesses here and try to try to do that from the U.S. I don't think that that's um, sustainable on a long on the long term, um, you know, and especially with us, you know, we're hiring, you know, 20, 25 people a month. Um, that, that's really tough to do remotely. So um, I think it's going to be a little bit different. And, uh, and from what we're seeing, too, you know, office space and office rents um, are continuing to climb. You know, we just uh, cut the ribbon on our Hangzhou facility a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, we were looking for places there for a couple of months and, you know, we'd finish the day, we'd decide on a place we'd, you know, show up there at nine o'clock the next morning to sign the deal and somebody would have showed up at seven and, and took those places right from under us. And this was happening all over the place. And the place that we did get, we finally, um, you know, the local government felt sorry for us and introduced us to a building that wasn't even on the market yet. 
Um, so we were literally the first tenant uh, to move in there before even the lobby was finished. Um, and that's what we had to do to get into Hangzhou. So that really tells you that um, the trend of work at home, I think, is not uh, it's not catching on and probably isn't going to be a thing here. You've been around the country, obviously, you know, head office in Beijing. You've got the campus in Nanjing. You've got now the Hangzhou campus. Um, you know, you're 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 kind of traveling around, managing a lot of operations there. Are you seeing still a lot of masks, you know, social distancing? Is it is it something of a norm in China? Will it stay uh, something of a norm over the next 12 months? Or has that time, thankfully, come and gone? Well, you know, what's actually really interesting is you, those three cities, it's different. So in Beijing, it's 100% masked up. Um, people wear masks everywhere, all the time, even on the street. Um, when we go into Hangzhou, hardly anybody's wearing a mask. Um, and Nanjing, I would say it's about 50%. Social distancing, I don't think ever was really a thing here. Um, it's kind of hard when you've got, you know, a billion plus people. But uh, yeah, no, the mask wearing is definitely still a thing. Um, oh, you might remember when you lived here too, right? It, it wasn't such a behavioral shift as it was in the United States because people were used to wearing the pollution masks. So um, this wasn't a huge shift um, in behavior, but uh, it's just different in different parts of the country. It's been really interesting to see that. What about consumers and their focus, uh, purchasing focuses these days? What are they buying, you know, more than anything else? How has it changed? You know, for example, from, you know, Q4 2019 to here we are, you know, closing out Q2 of, of 2021. Well, there's been some interesting trends that have, um, that have gone on in that, in that period. Things have gone up and down. One of the things that sort of held throughout is the focus on health and, and wellness. So um, home exercise equipment, um, personal training, these types of classes, these uh, online education is, is still really big. But what actually went up and down or went down and then up, sorry, is uh, fashion, which is coming back uh, online right too. So apparel during that lockdown period had a real tough time. And, that, and that's understandable. I mean, people weren't going out, um, you know, so the new outfits and things like that, and you know, weren't, uh, nobody's going to want to sort of walk around their house and lock down, you know, wearing designer outfits. You're going to wear stuff that's comfortable and you're going to wear it, wear it out basically. So um, we're seeing that coming back. Um, the fashion houses are now doing more outdoor shows. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool to see. Um, makeup cosmetics, uh, still very solid growth there as well. Um, and then the overall, uh, even now that we are back open, the, like I said, the health the wellness and the fitness of people taking better care of themselves that's um, that's holding true. So that didn't wasn't just a one-off or a blip. Um, we're seeing increases in plant-based foods um, online, which is uh, uh, something that's pretty new to the market uh, in general. Really, sort of talks about a, a changing consumer base, certainly at the uh, younger ages. Sports, uh, you know, I think electronics have roughly held pretty stable during that whole time. There was definitely a big blip right when people started to work at home. Um, appliances also had a really big uh, blip online. But these are areas that were kind of forced online as well, because, you know, traditionally, um, they were offline purchases. But when, you know, offline was offline, um, it forced people to, to, to go in and buy online. So people did that. We saw, you know, 400% increases last year about this time um, online and appliance purchases. So people upgrading their homes now that they're spending more time there, um, you know, all, all trends that I think you can probably extrapolate and see in other markets as well. 
Um, so nothing that was totally unexpected. What does next year look like for China's economic growth? Okay, so we're seeing a lot of positive headlines, but do you see that on the ground? And if so, which sectors are going to be leading that charge? Well, I think it's going to be across a lot of sectors. Um, you know, I think there's probably some issues with auto, and that's going to just be you know related to these chip shortages that we all have heard about. But outside of that, I mean, salaries are rising across the board quite fast. Companies are digitizing, and that's all going to lead to some of the highest GMB growth that's forecasted in recent history. There still is a lot of globalization too. So we're also hearing about big expected numbers in the United States with all the stimulus. Well, a lot of that is going to end up in China as well. So there's going to be increased factory orders. So we're really actually expecting one of the best years in recent history. Uh, and I can't really say that that's going to be specific to any one sector. I think it's it's going to be relatively across the board. We're expecting incomes to rise, disposable income to rise, and and just a general overall lift um, throughout the year. And, and quite frankly, all throughout the world. I mean, this is going to be one of the best years um, coming out of COVID with this uh, with this COVID bounce that people are talking about. Um, so it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be some economic revenge coming for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about the 618 Festival. For those who don't know, that is uh, one of the bigger shopping days of the year, probably second only to 1111 or Singles Day. It's on June 18th. So last year, you were saying that the 618 Festival was going to be the single most important consumer purchasing event of the year. Now, with a combined GMV between Tmall and JD of roughly 130 billion USD, it certainly did not disappoint. What are you expecting this year in terms of overall sales numbers for this year's 618 Festival? If you go back, and you were saying that only second to 11.11, but last year, 618 beat 11.11 quite single-handedly, actually. So I think believe the total revenue uh, for 11.11 last year combined was closer to something like 50-something 50, 50 like that. Um, but Tmall alone, um, their 618 was three times higher. Now, if you go back through all the historical trends... Um, that's the first time that that ever happened. So what was going on almost like clockwork was, you know, uh, 618 would beat the previous 1111, but then the following 1111 would beat that 618. So they were just piggybacking it and cascading in terms of revenue um, again and again and again. Uh, however, that was broken last year where the 618 um, outsold 1111 by quite a bit. Now, I don't expect... Um, that we're going to be doing 132 billion again this year, but I would probably expect that we do beat the 40 um, uh, billion from 1111. So I mean, you know, I would say that Tmall is going to be in the let's say 45 to 48 range would be my guess um, for this 618. Uh, but you know, quite frankly, we don't really know. It's quite a quite a hard thing to predict. Within that 618 festival, that that shopping bonanza, which sectors are we expecting to perform really well and, and why? Um, well, we, I think we would expect, um, you know, it, it, I think we can probably expect the, the growth across them all. It's pretty hard to say that. You can look at that question from a number of different points of view. But, I mean, cosmetics do exceptionally well during this time. Uh, nutraceuticals do very well during this time. Um, and I would expect, I think, fashion to make the biggest comeback because that's what we're seeing. They were, they probably had the biggest crevice to dig themselves out of. Um, so, I mean, if we're looking at growth rates compared to last year, you're probably going to see some apparel have a pretty good time. But again, caveat that with that 
they also were one of the, the most affected uh, from COVID-19. Let's talk about something um, I'm actually really interested in, which is live streaming. And I mean, just live commerce, right? Not not even live streaming for, for any kind of influencer uses or anything. But I think live commerce is going to be a super fun space going forward. Um, is it going to continue to dominate in China in the way that it has in this past year? And, you know, has this really shot well out in front of of other go-to-market strategies and tactics. Um, and then, you know, to add one more question to that, why is it so important for brands in market to be a part of this live streaming, live commerce craze? Well, lots of reasons. Um, one, and we'll just go with the Tmall example here too, is that um, you're rewarded for it. So if you're broadcasting and you're live at that particular time where somebody is searching for your product, you're going to appear much higher in the algorithm um, than you would without being broadcasting. So there's this organic effect that that live streaming has to draw in traffic um, that it's almost a must have now. So if you're not doing it, um, you, you're going to, you're going to be behind the eight ball for sure. The other thing is that, um, you know, when you look at the search results now, they're great with having the videos up there. So you can actually see the video preview. So what would you rather click on? You know, a static picture or somebody out there talking about uh, the product right now. You know, as with all these tactics, what's always really interesting is that when you are an early adopter, you do get that, you know, first mover advantage. Um, so I think we've been pretty lucky um, in terms of doing this. But the issue is, is that now, once you have everybody sort of catching up and playing catch up, um, the prices for third party uh, streaming services in terms of who the influencers are uh, extremely steep. Um, you know, and a lot of the audience is really um, concentrated among, let's say, the top 20 um, live streamers with some reasonable outliers in some specific areas like health and fitness, for example. So that's kind of causing a problem. And then the economics of that may or not work for you, depending on what kind of margins that you're dealing with. Like, are you going to be able to give up 30% uh, to your live streamer plus make sure that you're discounted, that you're giving great offers because the streamers want that. Um, and then doing it yourself and building up your own channels. I mean, that, that does take definitely a lot of time. Um, and then you have a whole bunch of economics that come into play of, you know, is it a one-off purchase, you know, so that you're, you know, potentially eroding all of your margin on that first purchase or are using the tactic because you've got something that's maybe a consumable, like a vitamin or, or some type of cosmetic where there's repeat purchases, then maybe the economics look a lot better. So you're building up your database of customers that, you know, you can retarget to and hope to get that margin in the second or third purchase. So in terms of go to market, it absolutely makes things easier because, you can reach with these third parties, these massive audiences very quickly. Um, you know, you, you can hit, you know, six, seven million consumers within your first month of being open or first couple of months of being open where that might have taken you six months a couple of years ago. So it's definitely changed the game. Um, I wouldn't say that it's, get, it's saturated now, but uh, it certainly is getting that way that, um, that, that people are, are flooding into this. What we're probably going to see and there's a whole bunch of changes that are going on with some IPOs and some anti-monopoly practices. But the third-party platforms like the Douyin's, the Chinese TikTok, and the Kwai shows are probably going to be rising a lot faster than they have been so far because they're going to be able to tap into logistics networks and take more of the e-commerce lifecycle um, in-house as opposed to just being seen as sort of third-party support systems for your Tmall store. 
So we're going to watch these trends very carefully. And of course, you know, we always want to be early adopters, um, making sure that we're, we're getting out ahead of these trends as they come into the market. But um, that's kind of what we're expecting. And uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted on how that, uh, how that evolves throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it is a big thing. It's, it's growing a lot. I don't think it's hit North America that much, but I know, uh, it's growing a lot, um, and planning to grow a lot in India as well. Um, and obviously it's just been, um, there and, and, uh, quite seasoned in China for quite some time now. Let's, uh, do a little China looking ahead in a couple other areas while we have you. We have talked before on this podcast with you a little bit about the Alibaba Alibaba IPO stuff, okay? Uh, and you're one of those rare people who actually reads through the entire documentation when <laughs> there's an IPO uh, about to happen. Uh, and you're often talking to media and Wall Street and discussing the latest moves on the market, Um one of the things that we keep an eye out for is, you know, this this IPO Baba's two divisions. It's got the logistics division and the Ant Financial, uh, which you pointed out, uh, you know, one was removed from the other last time on the podcast. So if we focus first on the logistics division IPO, why is it so important uh, and how will that impact consumer behavior and shipping and logistics in the market? And then how does Baba's competitive relationship with JD tie into that? We're hoping for a couple of things, but I think this is a lot more significant than most people um, understand. Because once they do IPO, what we're going to expect, and, and of course, they're going to have to do this, is essentially run independently. So one of the things that happens right now, um, you know, the JD IPO is going to happen very quickly. That's going to basically, I wouldn't say force is the right word, but allow like they said, the Douyin's and the Kwai shows, and these emerging platforms that want e-commerce capability to tap into that network. So Tmall Global, for example, has been uh, mandating that you use their logistics services, uh, uh, which is the sign-out network, if you want to be on Tmall Global using the bonded uh, trade zones. So that's going to change. And that's going to be a big deal because what's going on with that right now is, you know, they're very expensive. They do run a monopoly and they can charge whatever they want. But independently, if those are two separate companies, which they will be, you know, once listed and they start to behave like that, then they won't be able to do that anymore. Uh, and quite frankly, these other anti-monopoly rules that are coming into play also uh, you know, the government's been very clear about that. They're, they're doing their best to, to erode these uh, monopolistic practices. We're going to see rises in other platforms, um, that being the case. So the logistics advantages that were really, uh, you know, that the platforms had, um, we expect that to go away as, as these logistics providers IPO and, and they operate independently now. For context for the listeners, uh, we are discussing uh, JD's Logistics IPO, and it's being discussed right now as well. And by the time this podcast launches, that may have already happened. On the uh, trade front, uh, this uh, the trade war, uh, so to speak, we've had roughly five months of the Biden administration and their new approach to China. Are you seeing anything in that relationship that is so far significantly different from the previous administration? There was a lot of rhetoric around whether it would, whether it wouldn't, if it's going to be status quo or uh, could be vastly different. So far, what's happened? Well, I think one of the things that we tune out is, is, is what goes on in the media, because there is still a massive amount of trade uh, between the two companies, the two countries, sorry. Um, and that's not going down um, at all. There's still, you know, incredible demand 
uh, for products in, in both markets. Um, and I would expect that trade level to go up um, in 2021. Whether the government-to-government relationship is going to improve, I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe not. But uh, you know, the people-to-people relationship has always been very strong, and the commercial relationship has always been very strong as well. And uh, there's no sign that that is going to be going down. Um, and if anything, we would expect those volumes to significantly rise um, in 2021. Amazing to have you on the show. One of the few guests we can get these days that's actually on the ground in China, telling it uh, like it is and giving us some great insight. So always appreciate having you on the show. Thanks again for coming. Very welcome. Always a pleasure to be on the show as well. Thanks very much for having me. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.